Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 6.01 a.m. Central Daylight Time. It's the 18th of May, 2021, and this is episode 420 of Bitcoin and 420. Not only did I not think I'd ever make it this far, but damn, 420. That's got to be a red letter day in Bitcoin and history. Uh, Although it is a standard news day, there's nothing special going on. I did not plan anything for 420. No, I'm not doing a giveaway. No, I'm not doing all the the things that I suppose I should be doing to get gain of function. And I'm not talking about a virus, Um, you know, to, to make this show spread a little bit farther. No, I, you know, I just can't bring myself to do the things. And it's not because I'm lazy. It's because I find marketing to be distasteful the way that it's run nowadays. I, I don't know. I, I'm probably being a little bit overzealous on that one, but honestly, man, the, the whole, <clears throat> you know, retweet this and, you know, enter, you're entered into a contest for something I, you know, I don't know, man, I, I don't like that shit and I just don't do it, which is probably why my numbers will always be low. So if you want to help a brother out, you know, listen to the podcast on Breeze Wallet and stream me some sats. You can do the same thing on uh, Sphinx app, the Sphinx chat app. Um, there's two other places that you can stream me sats while you listen to the show, but I cannot remember the names of them right now. And I haven't played with them. And unless I've at least played with them, then I kind of don't, you know, I don't mind not recommending them or, you know, forgetting what their names are right now. But Breeze and Sphinx Chat do an awfully good job of allowing you to stream me value if you think this show is valuable. So uh, let's get on into the news. We're going to start up with this one. Sony files patent for betting service that could accept Bitcoin or or in-game items. Liam Wiseman is writing it for IGN, a good gaming news platform here, man. Sony Interactive Entertainment has filed a patent for a platform that would allow users to bet on esports using physical currency, Bitcoin, or even in-game items. According to a listing on PatentScope, Sony initially filed the patent back in 2019, but has only published it this month. The patent itself suggests a system where viewers of live-streamed esports events such as fighting game tournaments would be able to bet on the outcome of matches whilst watching the action play out in real time. The system would work via a user interface overlay that could be brought up over the stream in order for the user to place their bets. Oh boy, gaming commissions around the world are chomping at the bit, I'll bet. Bets placed could seemingly come in many forms, with the patent mentioning that, quote, wagers may be a pecuniary, e.g. money or Bitcoin, or may be non-pecuniary, e.g. game assets, digital rights, and virtual currency. 
That implies that you could earn and then bet in-game currency or even in-game items using the system. It's also possible that wagering digital rights could point to bets using NFTs or non-fungible tokens in-game. Let's stop right there and find or, or in, and rather examine what that actually see, would suggest for the future. What does it suggest? Well, it really muddies the water between what is a currency and a digital currency like Bitcoin or what is a digital asset. And I mean, and when I mean digital asset, I mean like a skin for your, you know, gun in, I don't know, CSGO or something like that. It really starts to wrap all this stuff up in the same type of packaging that I don't know, regulators would use to, to say, well, look, it's, it's, it's all money or none of it's money. I mean, because if you can, if I can bet in Bitcoin or I can bet my skin, at what point do the regulators get a chance to separate those two out and say, well, we're going to regulate, you know, Bitcoin being bet on, but you can, but we'll have a different set of regulations and rules for like game skins that you bet. I don't know. It seems to me like this might really muddy those waters. So regulators are, you know, regulators are going to regulate whatever it is that it looks like they can regulate. So it'll be interesting to see how they go forward, because guess what? If you're going to allow people to bet money online, you can bet your bottom dollar that somebody somewhere is going to want a piece of that action. And they've got some kind of governmental license to be able to take a piece of that action. It'll be interesting to see how they proceed. Odds for those wagers would be determined via machine learning based off either the play history of the competing players or their performance in the current match. Interestingly, the patent was not exclusively focused on PlayStation as it also references game consoles such as Sony PlayStation or a game console made by Microsoft or Nintendo or other manufacturer, virtual reality headsets, augmented reality headsets, portable televisions, Portable computers such as laptops and tablet computers and other mobile devices, including smartphones. This suggests that if the service does become real, it could be brought to platforms way beyond PlayStation. <clears throat> the company also recently <clears throat> completed its joint purchase of EVO, the largest fighting game tournament in the world. So this patent could be directly tied to the service being used in conjunction with EVO. Last year, Evo was canceled following allegations of abuse regarding the organizer Joey Kuehler with large fighting game developer Capcom and NetherRealm pulling out of the contest in solidarity with the victims. Sony has been busy filing a lot of patents recently with a platform holder also planning a help system for struggling gamers and a system that could allow older gamers to be retroactively patched with trophy support. <laughs> That sounds bad. Patents are regularly filed with game companies, with many of them never accounting or amounting to anything, so it's worth bearing that in mind. But with PlayStation 5 shortages set to continue into 2022, Sony might well be looking for a new way to bring fans into the esports community. <clears throat> Cryptocurrency has appeared in the news a lot recently, as earlier this month, Tesla CEO Elon Musk basically had a meltdown that is, uh, no, they, they talk about his company being, doing stuff, but essentially he just melted down. So he's had an effect on the whole industry and it doesn't really matter what, what he says. This is going to be interesting to, to watch. Now, 
Sony, with this patent filing, is eating into, or not eating into, but kind of represents a clear and present danger to people like Thunder Games and uh, uh, my friend Jack over there, <clears throat> who did state yesterday that he is never paying Sony one red cent if they make a patent claim uh, or you know use their patent against Thunder Games because honestly, Thunder Games was first to market with this kind of shit at least in a, in any appreciable way. And honestly, I, I kind of don't think Jack has anything to worry about. Sony, by and large, seems to be rather benign when it comes to this kind of bullshit. I mean, if you're using their rights of their intellectual property insofar as games, they will sue your ass into a smoldering hole in the ground. But I'm not sure if they're gonna go after people like Thunder Games here. And if you, even if they did, I think Thunder Games has a pretty good track record to be able to show any court uh, that they're not going to engage in this lawsuit because they've been doing this shit for well over a year, right? So we'll have to see if if Sony wants to to engage in that kind of bullshit. And if they do, <clears throat> their reputation will be burned to the ground because the minute you enter the crypto space, specifically the Bitcoin space, you immediately douse yourself with flammable liquids and walk around essentially as somebody waiting to be set on fire. It just depends on which way your mouth moves, like Elon Musk found out. So even billionaires are not at all non-susceptible to being burnt to the ground. And speaking of, we have this one from Obi Nwosu from BTC Times. He's the CEO and co-founder of CoinFloor. <clears throat> Words are constantly changing their meaning, but cult has always been a four-letter one. In today's divided, at times venomous discourse, a cult has become just another snarl word thrown at opponents as a way to invalidate their politics, opinions, and interests. But sometimes it retains its original meaning, a belief system based around a visionary founder who attracts adherence to their charismatic authority. Bitcoin, according to its detractors, is such a cult. Ironically, this says far more about the biases and blind belief of Bitcoin's implacable opponents than it does about Bitcoin itself. So, who is this charismatic individual, this prophet for Bitcoin? For some of those whose knowledge goes no further than scanning the headlines in their Facebook newsfeed, it's Saint Elon of Musk. He may not have the power to move mountains, but he can certainly make Bitcoin's price soar or plunge with his pronouncements. Yeah, not for very much longer, dude. As we saw last week with his tweet announcing that they will no longer accept payment in Bitcoin. Bitcoin's critics were quick to seize upon this apparent act of treachery, conveniently ignoring the fact that Tesla will retain the billion and a half dollars worth of Bitcoin in its corporate treasury. No, the great helmsman of Bitcoin has turned his back on the revolution to howls of glee from those who suspected it was a cult all along. There's more than a few problems with this narrative, not limited to what Elon got wrong about Bitcoin being powered by dirty energy. The arguments that Bitcoin is a planet killer have been refuted a thousand times, including in this column. But to recap, Bitcoin mining incentives naturally drive people to renewable or currently wasted energy sources, so its usage will ultimately reduce energy waste. Still, it's a powerful line of attack because it has become near impossible to question any environmental argument, even erroneous ones, without being cast out as an unbeliever. Oh boy, wait till they get Greta in on this shit. Because you can't attack a child, and you certainly can't attack a child who's spouting nonsense about the environment. It was their secret weapon, and if you don't understand that about Greta Thunberg, then you don't understand what's going on. This is me talking, not Obi.
<clears throat> anyway, what is much more damaging is the impression this gives of Elon Musk or anyone else indeed as a visionary Bitcoin leader rather than just another follower, albeit somewhat richer. I must stress that the damage to Bitcoin itself is negligible, but the implications of making a profit out of L. Elon can do serious harm to those who approach Bitcoin without understanding its ethos. Just look at the young woman who lost 9,000 pounds of her hard-earned savings after being conned by a scam email, which used Elon Musk's name to lure in unsuspecting victims. Let me stress, this is in no way Mr. Musk's fault, but it does show what happens when the media makes a false god out of a trusted charismatic celebrity and turns them into a figurehead for a movement. This is, in microcosm, what we saw in macro when Bitcoin's price fell by almost 17% immediately after Musk's tweet and the consequent rise in Doge after his musings on the flavor of the month altcoin. It shows that people are still significantly influenced in the short term by the words of just a few people that they idolize. There is no question that Elon Musk is a charismatic and, in many ways, a brilliant man, but he is not a prophet and still less a leader of a movement whose ethos is decentralization and individual empowerment. And even if he were a leader, one would hope for more reasoned and informed arguments than his claim that Doge is somehow more environmentally friendly than Bitcoin because it is orders of magnitude smaller and its mining is merged with Litecoin. I don't know if Elon buys into that argument. He's a shoot first, ask questions later kind of guy, so I'm guessing not. But then false gods and false dogs were never the problem. It's the very idea that Bitcoin has or can even tolerate figureheads, and that's the problem. Bitcoin is less a faith to be followed and more of a discipline to be mastered. So while it's natural to take shortcuts, Remember that knowledge is power. Ultimately, the only way to ensure your financial future is to take time to learn the fundamentals so you can tell unfounded celebrity opinions from first principle-derived facts. In Bitcoin, there is only one leader who matters and one expert you can trust, and that is yourself. <laughs> Whoop-de-doo. That's right, Obi. Yeah, I agree. Also, what he says about this not being a religion as much as being a style of philosophy, you don't really have to think any farther than Buddhism. People have wrongly misaligned Buddhism as a religion. It is not a religion. It is a philosophy that you follow. How it became synonymous with a religion in the minds of the unwashed masses is just simply the same way that we look at, we, we, have this bad habit as human beings of, oh, they're richer than us, therefore they know more than us, and clearly they know more than I do about any subject on the planet, and that is where the trap lies. Just because Elon Musk takes billions of dollars in subsidies, parlays that into a stock price that is well above anything that it would deserve in the real world, because we do not live in the real world anymore, we live in fantasy land and circuses that, that are firmly embedded in dumpster fires. <clears throat> That's how you get the richest man in the world, which is actually, I think he just lost his second richest man in the world mantle sometime late last night when uh, his pri the stock price dipped below $2. <clears throat> 
And Michael Bur people like Michael Burry out there shorting for five hundred and thirty million dollars or something like that. I can't remember. Yeah, it's like five hundred and fifty or five hundred and thirty million dollars. Michael Burry of the big short fame is shorting Tesla stock and, and and he should because everybody should. This is a company that makes absolutely no income. The uh, the first time that they actually listed an income in the company's history was their 10% sale of their Bitcoin holdings that they had only had for like a month and a half. They don't make money on cars and they don't make money on leasing uh, patent technology. They I mean they 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 they, they do not they they are never in the black yet their stock price has been driven by guess what a cultish following of their glorious leader Elon Musk who got fired from PayPal he was ousted by Peter Thiel right because he was doing stupid shit this is a man that favored Microsoft Windows over Linux as backbone infrastructure for PayPal when PayPal was set to handle actual money. Let that sink in. Does this sound like somebody who's bright, glorious, and just genius? Do you think he designed the uh, Dragon engines uh, for, for SpaceX? Do you think he actually sat down and designed the wiring harness for Tesla? No. No, man, this is all based on cult of personality, pal. <clears throat> And the fact that he decided to mosey on into the saloon that is the wild west of Bitcoin and got his ass shot dead should tell you everything that you need to know about any company the man touches. There's enough of that. Now, Coinbase is set to raise $1.25 billion in a bond sale <clears throat> one month after going public. Jeff John Roberts has it from Decrypt.co. Okay, Coinbase on Monday announced that it intends to raise an extra $1.25 billion by selling so-called convertible notes, a type of bond that lets the purchaser earn interest or else convert the holdings into stock. The move comes as something of a surprise given that the company is cash flow positive and went public by means of a direct listing just over a month ago. That listing, however, did not involve the sale of new shares. So the bond announcement appears to be a strategic decision to raise, raise extra capital at a time when interest rates remain at historic lows. Quote, <clears throat> this capital raise represents an opportunity to bolster Coinbase's already strong balance sheet with low-cost capital that maintains operating freedom and minimizes dilution for Coinbase's stockholders, said the company in a press release announcing the decision. One analyst suggested Coinbase's decision was a shrewd way to ensure it had a healthy balance of cash on hand in the event that the markets shoot up or down. It's unclear for now if Coinbase intends to use any of the money it raised to add crypto to its balance sheet. The release stated that the company would use the proceeds for general corporate purposes, which may include working capital and capital expenditures, <clears throat> but did not provide more specifics. Coinbase did not immediately reply for a request for comment. It's relatively rare for public companies to issue convertible notes of this nature, but not unprecedented. Tesla, for instance, <clears throat> has repeatedly turned to such notes to raise money, including in 2014 to finance its battery factory and in 2019 for general purposes. Meanwhile, MicroStrategy, we all know the story about MicroStrategy, so we'll skip that. 
Coinbase plans to issue the bonds or plan to issue the bonds is still provisional, but if the company does go ahead with it, they will be sold in private transactions to institutional investors, all of whom will be able to convert them to class A stock if they wish to do so. The Coinbase announcement also comes as the company's shares have hit an all-time low following a spate of bearish news from crypto over the weekend, including rumors of Tesla and whatnot, blah, blah, blah. On Monday, Coinbase stock was trading at $248 at market close, down nearly 45% from the $429 high it hit shortly after the share started trading. So <clears throat> sneaky Brian Armstrong figuring out a way around the fact that they didn't issue any new shares when they went I, when they did their uh, uh, direct listing to get their stock listed on the stock exchange. So who knows is he, if he's going to do it. And if he does do it, I doubt seriously he's going to add anything but DeFi tokens to his, to his, uh, to his balance sheet. I don't know. This guy just, it drives me crazy. But this is how people leverage stupidity in the markets to get rich as shit. This is how they do it. Once you pass a certain point, I guess you can just dupe anybody, say anything, release anything, and never get in trouble for it. I don't know, man. It's weird. But what's also weird is that the U.S. FDIC, or Federal Deposit Insurance Company, seeks rights on banks' role, or uh, seeks, seeks insights on banks' role in cryptocurrency markets. Helen Parts for Cointelegraph has this one. The United States FDIC is looking for information and public comments on banks' cryptocurrency-related activities. The FDIC is a major provider of deposit insurance to the United States commercial and savings banks, originally created to address bank runs during the Great Depression. On Monday, the FDIC officially announced a request for public input to get more information on the industry and consumers' interest in the market, as well as the role of banks in the digital asset ecosystem. Quote, banks are increasingly exploring several roles in the emerging digital asset ecosystem, such as being custodians, reserve, hold, reserve holders, issuers, and exchange or redemption agents performing node functions and holding digital asset issuers' money deposits, the FDIC stated. The corporation is particularly looking to improve its understanding of digital asset use cases in financial markets and intermediation, as well as settlement and payment systems. The FDIC is also seeking input on the risk and compliance management of insured depository institutions and their affiliates in conducting digital asset-related activities. FDIC Chairman Jelena McWilliams noted that the public input will help the agency better understand the market in terms of regulation. Quote, at the FDIC, we are laying the foundation for the next chapter of banking by ensuring we have regulatory framework that allows responsible innovation to flourish. This RFI gives us the opportunity to gain additional insight into the market and what role banks might play in the future. The agency's in interest in digital asset use cases for financial institutions come as U.S. banks actively moving into the crypto industry. In early May, investment bank Goldman Sachs launched a cryptocurrency trading desk, allowing institutional partners to trade derivative products. Previously, Morgan Stanley added Bitcoin exposure to 12 investment funds after announcing plans to offer crypto services to wealthy clients. What does this mean to you? Well... The, once the FDIC starts getting into the game, what that signals to me is that 
institutional adoption has grown to the point that they're going to, that F play, corporations like FDIC are going to have to start playing the game. Bitcoin forced the hand and now they're bending the knee. They're still going to regulate the living freaking shit out of anything that even looks like it can be regulated. So if you want to play in this game as a small, as a, continue to play this game as a small fish, and I'm looking at hodl, hodl, and bisque, then you're going to have to be decentralized to the point that nobody knows where the hell you are. You cannot be reached for comment. You cannot have a door that somebody can knock on. Uh, that with that somebody being a bunch of regulators backed up by men wearing black, hefting big ass guns. Okay, if you want to play in this game the way that we've been playing in this game, you got to be nimble, which is one of the reasons why I'm really thankful that we have small blocks and that we're probably going to end up with Taproot. All right, luxury yacht firm is now accepting Bitcoin, host mobile and web services on the blockchain. Woo, Greg Thompson has it from Cointelegraph. Remember people, boating and Bitcoin don't mix. Boating accidents have eaten many a hardware wallet. A luxury yacht firm has announced it will begin accepting cryptocurrency for its services and expects to see an immediate 40% growth increase from Bitcoin payments in its first year. In addition to accepting Bitcoin payments, the firm also announced that it would base its web and mobile services on blockchain technology. You don't need that, as it provide, provides more transactional security than any other system. The firm stated that it expects to see $6.5 million in revenue in the coming year, primarily from its yacht charter service and the bespoke experiences it's ho it hosts for clients. Co-founded by two Colombians and operational in North America, Prime Experiences has apparently earmarked Miami as a possible source of collaboration. The company's president, Jose David Toban, said the firm was already in talks with Miami's crypto-friendly mayor, Francis Suarez, who has previously pushed for progressive cryptocurrency laws and recently suggested Miami citizens should be able to receive salaries and bitcoins. Actually, he didn't. I'm not sure if he said citizens as much as the government employees, but whatever. With this type of currency, many doors have opened. We are currently in talks with the Miami mayor, who is interested in expanding Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies in the city. Miami could be the next Silicon Valley, as most of the large companies such as Tesla, Facebook, and Google are looking to enter the city, said Tobon. The range of services opting to accept cryptocurrency as a means of payment has grown more varied in recent years. Once largely the currency of choice for mostly web-based services, more and more physical establishments have started to accept crypto as of late, including real estate firms, auction houses, music schools, and baseball teams. So now we have a yacht company. Okay, I can deal with a yacht company. Let's run the numbers, shall we? Flammable liquids doing okay this morning. Up a third of a percent for West Texas Intermediate, coming in at $66.54. Brent North Sea coming in at $69.83. It's up a half a point. Natural gas moving sideways, $3.11 for a 1,000 cubic feet of that. Uh, shiny metal rocks are mixed. Gold is down uh, 1%, $1,867.40. Silver, however, is up a full percent. 
$28.56. Platinum is down one and a third. Copper is up uh, over 1% and palladium is up three quarters of 1%. All the agricultural futures are high. Let's see if we have anything. Ooh, God, of, of note is coffee. If you're a coffee drinker, get this one. $3 and, or no, I'm sorry, $3.36% up uh, for coffee. Good God, that's, yeah. I rather enjoy my poison bean juice. I don't want to pay more for it. Uh, let's see. Interest rate fu- or indices are up a quarter for the Dow futures. S&P futures are up a third. NASDAQ futures up two thirds. And the S&P mini is up a third as well. All the interest rates got pushed down for the 30, the 10, and the five-year treasury bond. Real money. We got Bitcoin coming back in at $45,269. <clears throat> With 254,000 transactions performed over the last 24 hours, that's 10,600 transactions on average per hour. A bump in the amount, uh, 1.22 million BTC have been sent in the last 24-hour period. That's about 50,890 BTC being sent on average every hour with 4.79 BTC being the average transaction value and the median transaction value at 0.027 BTC or $1,200. Block times are high at 11 minutes and 43 seconds. We have 0.61 BTC being taken in fees on a per block basis and 75.5 BTC taken in fees overall in the last 24 hours. Hash rate with a half a percent drop is back down to 155.36 exahashes per second. Your shitcoin indicator is Dogecoin, which is down to 47.4 US pennies. We have 22,000 transactions waiting on 52 blocks to clear. We're still well below the $1 trillion market cap, and we are standing in at $853 billion, which is only 7% of gold's market cap, and 24.4 ounces of shiny metal rock is what flipping one Bitcoin will get you, of which there are 18,712,910.5 BTC in circulation at this time. There are 1,333.17 BTC in the Lightning Network, and that has a capacity value of $60.8 million at the standing price. There are 11,333 nodes that we know about on the Lightning Network, and they're running 45,909 channels that we can see. Percentage of Tor capacity remains high at 60.7%. And holds 809.37 BTC in the Tor side of the Lightning Network, running over 5,611 nodes that we know about. Taproot. We have 11 mining pools, uh, most of which are the largest mining pools signaling for Taproot. I'm seeing on taproot.watch, I'm seeing the current total standing at 78.39%. I noted that documenting BTC's Twitter account said that we had 90% signaling. I don't know where documenting BTC is getting that from. I wish somebody would tell me because I have yet to see it. Although I just got, I just looked back up and I'm seeing a current total now at 85.11%. So we're getting close. Let me see if somebody came back online. One, Two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. We now have twelve mining pools 
and btc.com is still the laggard here. Uh, although they have in the past signaled uh, for uh, Taproot, I believe they said some, made an announcement about it sometime yesterday. Uh, we ha- will have to see. We'll just have to see. Uh, let's see. Oh, yeah, that's going to do it for Vitals. Welcome to part two of the morning roundup. We got this one starting off from FT.com and Leonard Barden. Chess, games elite compete for Bitcoin and strongest online tournament yet. The marriage sounds odd, but it makes sense to the sponsors of the online FTX Crypto Cup and to the very strong field of elite grandmasters who will compete in it from the 23rd to the 31st of May. Its record online $320,000 prize fund includes $100,000 in Bitcoin, so almost a full third. Watching fans will be able to track the prize pot's value in real time to see how it fluctuates. The event is part of the Meltwater Champions Tour, and its winner will qualify for the tour final over the board in San Francisco in September. The confirmed entry is exceptionally strong, even by the high standards of online chess, including every one of the current world top 10 in the live over-the-board ratings. Such an elite field contains the potential for a memorable contest. Both Magnus Carlsen and Ian Nepomitachichiti, I guess, are taking part ahead of their C, <clears throat> sorry, 2 million euro 14 game world title match in Dubai in November, November through December. Convention has it that the two contestants in the World Championship Series go into Perda for several months before the start to prepare novel opening strategies with their teams of aides. This year, though, the preparation time will be shorter for Carlson, who leads the tour and will be a favorite for the final. Uh, The other guy, whose name I cannot obviously pronounce, his position is more equivocal as he has expressed some doubt over continuing to play so close to the Dubai match. The FTX Crypto Cup starts at 4 p.m. BST on Sunday, May the 23rd, with three days of all play, all rounds. Uh, I guess it's all play, all rounds, followed by a knockout among the top eight. It is free and live to watch with Grandmaster and computer commentaries on chess24.com and other major chess websites. That's Chess24, where chess is spelled out, and then the numbers 24, uh, no spaces, no underlines, .com. So it's interesting because FTX is the new sponsor of the Old American Airlines Arena in Miami. So I, I had no idea that they had an interest in, in chess. And it's not like I'm a big chess player or anything like that, but I, just, I find it interesting that uh, chess is the more intellectual gymnastics rather than shit like basketball and, and whatnot like that. So it's good to see, it's good to see that. And it's good to see that they're offering Bitcoin. So cash candy or Bitcoin paying miners in 2021. Ah, Turner, right. I'd really work on that, uh, on that headline. That sound, that, that can sound bad till cointelegraph.com has it. A Bloomberg contributor will be paying his son Bitcoin in exchange for chores above and beyond his usual scope, but he is seemingly unable to decide on the best means of payment. In an opinion piece today, Eddie Yoon said he would pay a seventh grader 0.00055 Bitcoin, which is about $23.50 at the time of publication, for the boy helping him with, get this, 
<clears throat> competitive pricing benchmarking for a rental property. <laughs> Shit. Yoon said he gave his son Luke a choice of cash, candy, or Bitcoin for the work, closing the deal with a handshake. According to the Bloomberg contributor, the move was based on giving his children a role in their own financial decisions rather than jumping in on some craze. He said that he, sorry, he said he helped Luke purchase Tesla stock in 2016 and his daughters buy into Apple and Alphabet. Quote, we've told our kids that we will fund any investment that we collectively agree on between now and what was, oh, good Lord, and, and the age of 25. We don't get this. We don't plan to leave them an inheritance. So we want them to be equipped for a future in which their own investments gives them financial security. Let me just stop right there for a second. I'm not going to bitch about their decision not to give their kids an inheritance. Okay. I disagree with the decision, but it is their decision to make. And I get that. So I'm not going to, I'm not going to take a, a, a dump on that. However, it should probably be said that with what we, we may end up at least in the United States with onerous inheritance tax and or death taxes. So it kind of, I kind of see where they're coming from, especially if it's under those auspices that they don't want to leave their kids an inheritance. I beg, I kind of beg to differ. I think that it can be, that the inheritance can be structured in the form of property and not just straight up cash that you can design structure that in a way that you can avoid inheritance tax. I think like what I, and this is what I've been wanting to do. Um, and I don't know if I'll be able to do it, but this is sort of the dream <clears throat> that I have is to build a farm that seeks gain of function. Yes, that's right. I'm using gain of function this time though. It's in a positive light. And that means that the, the soil of the farm gets stronger. And I'm not talking about a commodity farm, y'all. I'm talking about a family farm. Because one of the rules of farming back in the day, and this is before 1971 and commodity farming and all that shit, the farmer's job was to feed his own family first or hers, okay? Just so we're all equal and all that shit. But it was to feed the family first for the whole year round. And if you could do that, if you could do that, then you could sell whatever excess that you got off the farm. But if you were not, and a lot of people weren't, but you know, there were a lot of farmers who, who kind of understood soil, even though they didn't really know what the hell was going on in the soil. They understood what healthy soil was and they knew how to build soil. Those guys ended up with farms that became more fertile with no inputs. I'm serious about that. Their input was water from the sky and solar energy also from the sky. The use of animals, manuring, good pasture management, that type of thing, that's what gave them soil that was able to build them a generational farm. So how does that work? Okay, well, I'll leave the, I'll leave the kids a farm and I can hear you now going, they're going to tax the shit out of it. Yeah, they would if I left it to them as an inheritance or just as a piece of property, but if I turn it into a company and my kids into shareholders and I die and they're officers of the corporation that own the farm, guess what? That's not an inheritance. That's somebody taking over the reins of a business. 
That's what I'm talking about. And we may, all of us may have to start thinking along those lines if Biden gets his way and we have like something, I think the number I heard was an 80% inheritance tax. That's bizarre. And and all, actually, it's not bizarre in the context of the way these people think. They don't want your family to do well. They don't want your family to have anything being able to pass on, be passed on to them because that makes the family strong and they don't want strong families. And it's not because they absolutely hate families. They hate individuals. But when individuals band together, those individuals become stronger to keep them weak. They don't like families. Therefore, you have shit like death tax and inheritance tax. And the ones that I've heard of coming out of the Biden, the numbers I've heard of coming out of Biden administration are pretty fucking scary. So guess what happens? All the tax laws that all the billionaires and billionaires that have designed for themselves to take part of so that they don't have to deal with this stupid shit that they were able to push through Congress with their friends, you're going to have to learn how to use them too. You can leave your kids an inheritance. You just got to be structured and creative about it. All right. I'm not an expert in that particular field. I know it can be done. I know for me, that's how I'm going to do it. I'm not going to just leave them a bank account because it'll just be eviscerated. I'm not going to leave them just Bitcoin because I don't want somebody to ask questions as to where they got it unless they move to a different country, in which case that's fine. I do want them to have a place that's not in a populist center that continues to have gain of function as long as they continue to do good pasture management, tree management, crop management, and they're not doing commodity crops. As long as they're covering the soil and making sure that they're using animals to the best of their abilities, the soil will always be fertile and will always gain fertility and never lose fertility unless you start doing stupid shit. Anyway, enough of that. U.S. Congressman reintroduces a bill with tax protections for investors with forked crypto assets. One of Congress's biggest advocates for cryptocurrency reintroduced legislation on Monday that would protect taxpayers from penalties on certain gains or losses on forked assets. Rep. Tom Emmer from Minnesota first presented the Safe Harbor for Taxpayers with Forked Assets Act that's a mouthful, in 2018 and and then again in 2019 to address what critics have viewed as a gap in the IRS's approach to taxing income derived from hard forks. In October of 2019, guidance, the IRS said that the new cryptocurrency generated by hard forks uh, would count as taxable income. The IRS's determination followed a letter that year from Emmer and other lawmakers asking the agency to clarify its policies on cryptocurrency. In a press release on Monday, Emmer said that the latest IRS guidance was unfairly punished uh, or has unfairly punished those investing in an emerging technology, adding that what has been issued by the IRS so far is not pragmatic. Emmer is the ranking Republican on the House Financial Services Committee's task force force on financial technology. So anybody who held BTC, you know, in 2017 got the same amount of B cash uh, that they could claim if they wanted to. Those that still held their B cash, on the other hand, also got a BSV fork. Uh, I think it was roughly around a year later. And those, those were going to be included as taxable income, whether you claimed those coins or not. 
Now, I had a discussion with a guy named Jeff Vandrew when I went to Big Block Boom last year. We were talking about this very thing. And he said that there was instrumentation available already, even before cryptocurrency, that you could claim to the IRS that if somebody gave you something that you just flat out didn't accept it. And I can't remember if there was a, a limit cap on the amount of money that the value represented or not, but he said that that was definitely there. But at the same time in our discussions, it became clear that none of us really knew how the hell to handle forked coins except to claim the forked coins and then report directly to the IRS what was going on and then pay taxes on it, whether you felt the airdrop was ethical. Like, that's the thing. I just felt dirty when I got BCH because I didn't want them. I didn't want to go. Th- I didn't I didn't want the, the Bcash fork to happen at all. So when I got Bcash, I was pissed. What did I do? I'm not going to tell you. Well, if you've listened to the show, you know what I did, but I'm not going to say it here again because we were just talking about the IRS and God knows what algorithms are tracking this one today. Um, Speaking of somebody who is going to get in trouble, though, if they ever find her ass, is the $4 billion Ponzi scheme one coin and crypto queen leader found to be in default in the U.S. lawsuit. So if you were not around the space, a couple of years ago, we had this thing called OneCoin, and oh boy, was it a doozy. $4 billion, which by Bernie Madoff's standards seems small, but $4 billion was the amount of money raised by the EOS chain guys when they scammed everybody out of their Bitcoin and Ethereum. And then I don't even know what the hell EOS is doing anymore, but they got $4 billion directly. At least Ruja Ignatova, which is the crypto queen or the leader of this Ponzi scheme, at least she worked for it by getting in a dress and going on stage a few times. Brock Pierce didn't do dick. All right. So Ruja Ignatova, the self-appointed crypto queen and the firm's one coin that she founded have been found in default after failing to respond to a case over the alleged $4 billion scam cryptocurrency project. Along with financier Gilbert Armetta, Ignatova, and OneCoin were certified as being in default, according to documents filed in New York Federal Court yesterday. The case commenced in May of 2019 with Ignatova and OneCoin accused of defrauding millions of investors for more than $4 billion in a Ponzi-like scheme. Investors were told OneCoin could be mined and had actual value, though in fact it did not exist on a blockchain and its perceived value was manipulated by automatic generation of new coins. The documents filed Monday stated that the defendant had not filed an answer or otherwise otherwise moved with respect to the complaint. Earlier in the case, plaintiffs Christine Grabless and Donald Bordeaux were, ne- were warned by the judge that they risked jeopardizing the case by not filing regular paperwork on efforts to serve court papers to the defendants. According to the latest documents, They had served papers to Ignatova, who is wanted by the U.S. and other authorities after disappearing in late 2017. Ignatova's brother, Konstantin, who allegedly also led the scheme, is assisting U.S. authorities under a plea deal. So the lawsuit was filed and nothing was, essentially nothing was done. Rutha is gone. Nobody knows where she is. When she took off, in like what was it 2019 no 20 in late 2017 when she took off she disappeared i mean 
honestly, it's, you know, in today's day and age, that is a difficult thing to pull off. So there's been several, you know, theories that she got plastic surgery. I've heard somebody go so far as that she had a full-blown sex change operation. I don't believe that one. Ruth, it seems like somebody who enjoyed being a female. And if you, if you know, if you knew anything about the story, you know what I'm talking about. I, this chick wore full-blown, full-length ball gowns to these events that they hosted. And the one coin thing was that you were rich on, on the, like you were rich as far as their website was concerned. You were never getting those coins. You were never going to be able to sell them into dollars because there was no functionality to do that. And they were able to keep people somehow or another in the dark by continuously falsely increasing the market cap of one coin they would airdrop shit on, on, on people. They would give prizes. They made sure that everybody was distracted from the fact that there was no such thing as a sell button on their website. There was no such thing as a self-custody OneCoin wallet that they would allow you to have. And even if they did allow it, there was no such thing ever designed. It was nothing but a fake spreadsheet. $4 billion for an Excel file is what they got. And this is why Bitcoin maximalists go fucking apeshit every time alt, see, alt season happens because we know more than half of these are outright scams. The rest are bullshit scams that maybe even the founders don't even know that they're scams, but they're going to get your ass wrecked all the same. So when you call us toxic and you call us maximalist, it's not because of anything other than we've seen this all before. We've seen the suicide hotline numbers being posted. We've seen the horrific stories about a guy's wife taking the kids and leaving his dumb ass because he decided that it was a good idea to take out not one, not two, but three mortgages on a house that they had paid off five, 10 years earlier. And now they were fucking homeless. And the wife had to take the kids back to her mom's house and told the dude who did the one coin scam or whatever scam that they were involved in to leave her alone for the rest of her life and never talk to her his, his kids again. If you wanna go through that, man, be my guest. If you want to be one of the unlucky, unwashed masses that has to actually experience that side of life, you go right the fuck ahead. I'm not going to stop you, but I am going to warn you that that is your future. If you continue down the path of shit coinery, unless you are very lucky and you are watching this shit really closely, which basically turns you into a day trader. And if that's what you want, hey, more power to you. But if you don't want to be a day trader, lock to 12 screens you will stay well away from most of this shit. All right. Somebody asked me, I, I had mentioned on this show that there was maybe save one other or two other cryptocurrencies that may have a shot in hell of not being an outright scam or a complete mistake. And that would actually be Monero or something like that. I don't own Monero. I don't want Monero. I just, I don't need it. I don't want it. I don't want to look at it. But it seems as far as the scams in this space goes, it seems to be the least scammiest, but that doesn't mean that you're not going to get your ass owned if you buy it. 
you make your own decisions and, and, and you do your own TA and you figure out your own research, man, because I can't do it for you. I won't do it for you for here. And here's the reason. I'm not going to waste my time looking into ring signatures and what they actually mean for Monero. This is why I Bitcoin. Again, this is why I Bitcoin. That's going to do it for the morning roundup. Daily Train Wrecked brought to you by your good friend Peter Schiff, <clears throat> who in a debate with Michael Saylor on Twitter says, also, instead of just posting irrelevant replies to my tweets, why don't you agree to debate me? Debate me, bitch, debate me. So far, you've turned down every opportunity to do so. It's clear to me that you're afraid to actually confront me and defend your ridiculous views. So you take the coward's way out. Michael who's getting better in his replies in the Bitcoin space, says the following, it's not clear what we would debate. Your position appears to be, quote, buy some gold or silver or gold stocks or government bonds or corporate bonds or dividend stocks or value stocks or emerging market stocks or small company stocks or really anything, just not too much. As I said yesterday in a tweet, I had no idea that Michael Saylor was the kind of man to waltz into an intensive care unit and unplug the respirators of the people laying in their beds just for shits and giggles because that's what he did right here. He unplugged Peter Schiff from life support and it was just brutal. It was just the most brutal takedown. And I'm I'm in agreement with Michael. Again, I'm wary of Michael Saylor, and you should be too. You have no idea what the man's thinking, and if you think you know what he's thinking, then you're going to get your ass handed to you. As far as I'm concerned, Michael Saylor is just waiting to pull the trigger on, like, on screwing Bitcoin in the ass. But for right now, the man's words are fun to read because he just absolutely eviscerated Peter Schiff on why he won't debate him. And what's the use? And honestly, and here's, here's my thing, <clears throat> I don't understand, no matter who is involved, and no matter what the debate topic involved is, I don't understand what good a debate actually does. He won the debate. Guess what? That winning of whatever debate about whatever topic doesn't change the temperature of the water in my pool at all. So why why would I even care whether they debate or not? What is, I don't understand the fascination with debating somebody. I don't get it. I mean, like Roger Ver used to do this shit all the time. Debate me. Debate. It was a meme. It was like he'd be like a picture of him with this grimace on his face. And then the words in the corner would be debate me with an exclamation point. And I'm like, why? What good is it going to do? Who's going to listen to? I mean, First of all, there's going to be an argument as to the people listening to the debate as to who won. So nobody really knows who won any debate because if if your guy lost, you don't see it that way. Your guy won. If you're the other guy and he lost, you don't see it that way. Your guy won. So they both won or they both lost. It doesn't matter the fucking topic. What good does a debate do? 
If a debate ended up in a law being drafted and passed at the United States Congress level and enforced by the U.S. military, then I'd tell you that the outcome of a debate probably matters. And I, and I guess in a way, those are the kind of debates that actually do matter are the ones that are on the floor of Congress as to how a particular, whether a law is going to be drafted, passed, what kind of regulations are going to be done. I mean, but they're, they're never called debates. I mean, debate team, being on a debate team, I, I don't know, man, I don't get it. Let's, let's just go ahead and move on from there and get a joke out of the way. <clears throat> oh, but what time is it? God, shit, it's 6.30 is the best time on the clock, hands down. Yep. Yeah. Yep. I kind of aped into that one. Anyway, um, if you want to help me out, spread the show, and I could use your help, five-star reviews on Apple, uh, get it out there to your friends and family. You know, like give me you know, like, subscribe, do all the things. But mostly, if you can, listen to my podcast on the Breeze Wallet uh, or on Sphinx Chat. Although uh, the the functionality of the Breeze Wallet podcast player is a little bit better than the Sphinx Chat, at least on mobile. You know, like I said, I, I mean, well, Breeze Wallet is only mobile. You can uh, listen to uh, uh, the podcast on Sphinx Chat on desktop. But the Breeze mobile wallet is the functionality of the podcast player is actually pretty good. Now that honestly, this one of the one of the things that I'd like to see these podcast players do that are connected to podcasting 2.0, where you can stream me Satoshi's uh, from your Breeze wallet while listening to this uh, program. I'd like to see more functionality or the functionality start matching up with like Podfriend. Um, I, I, I used to use overcast and it's got like, you know, where it cuts, cuts out long silences and it does it automatically uh, via algorithm. And it's really good at doing that without screwing shit up, you know, like being able to fast forward, you know, fast forward functionality. A lot of people like to listen to podcasts at like two X, three X. I don't, I like to listen right at one X, um, it's just the way that I am. And some of these things for podcasting 2.0 do not have that functionality. I think more and more people will use like Breeze Wallet podcasting functionality if some of those features start getting added in. And right now it doesn't look like they're getting added in. So if for whatever reason, you know somebody at Breeze and Sphinx Chat, let them know what I just said and, and ask them kindly to please start considering adding in uh, like silence, long silence reduction via algorithm, the ability to 2X and 3X so that we can get more people listening through Podcast 2.0. Because honestly, that's the best way to help me out, man, is just stream me sats while you listen to the show because it goes right to my node. It doesn't go to my Breeze wallet, guys. I've got my Breeze wallet. Basically, I set up my Breeze wallet with my node, which is over here on my desk. I can see you streaming streaming me sats and I know it's going directly into my own lightning channel or well my lightning node okay so I'm I'm getting I'm getting sats that way that that's the one that helps me the most also if you want you can go to my bio in uh uh for BENND77 on Twitter and I've got my tippin.me page set back up. It's The link is in my bio. And you can just scan a QR code when it comes up and send me sats from Blue Wallet or 
wallet as Satoshi or whatever you want using the Lightning Network, which we all need to start using much more heavily. And with all that said, I'll see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin And, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.